The following guided meditation was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And taking the time to connect with the community however you can, whatever way makes sense. Looking at the people who have their video on, just that sense that we're here together. And also just that deeper, broader sense of being part of a lineage of human beings that have the good fortune, enough time basically, enough space in our lives to be interested in a deeper way in uh, the truth of suffering and how we're complicit in suffering in our own heart and and those around us, like it or not. And we don't contemplate the truth of suffering to be morbid or to feel guilty. We contemplate it in order to better understand what does freedom look like when the world is this way? What does actual freedom in this heart feel like, look like, when the world, when my life, when my mind's conditioning is the way that it is? What is the path? Is there a path? And so this is really our great privilege that we get this time now on Sunday morning to contemplate this together in community. And I've mentioned uh, these last couple months I've been doing out loud uh, an informal reflection on the refuges and precepts. Some of you know that in most of the schools of Buddhism, there's a, a regular ritual recitation of the three refuges and the five precepts for lay people. But this more formal recitation is really um, just meant to be an ongoing reflection. What is my refuge? So I'll just do that out loud so that you can be encouraged in, you know, at the beginning of your own sits at home or at any time really in the morning when you wake up at night before you go to sleep to contemplate the three refuges and reassert in our hearts our commitment to non-harming through the five precepts. And in this way, and it's really true with the whole path that the Buddha laid out, the whole point is to become independent, not to become dependent on a teacher a lineage or teachings, as useful as those things are, maybe even um, a lot of the time they may be essential. But the aspiration is to become independent, to internalize the wisdom and the understanding um, so we can walk our path, walk our talk. It's true also with the refuges. So modeling now just taking refuge in the Buddha, taking refuge in this heart, this mind's capacity to be present, to be open and receptive right now. And please just follow along, contemplating in your own heart and mind this capacity right now, right here, to be open, to be awake, to be willing to feel and see and know 
and recognizing how valuable this capacity to be awake. That's what Buddha means, to be awake. It isn't abstract, it isn't theoretical. The word and taking refuge in the Buddha, it's really something here and now, and that's really important that we explore that. What might that word Buddha actually point to that's here and now? A wakefulness that's not dependent on whatever it is that's being known or being felt. And we take refuge in the Dhamma. So in some ways that word Dhamma or Dharma means trusting the way that it is. So Buddha wakes up to Dhamma, Dharma, both the beauty and the goodness here and now, but also whatever is ugly or hard to be with, including just our unavoidable complicity in the suffering, in our families, our own suffering, the suffering in our wider world that we're part of, the injustices and oppression, systems of oppression. So when we use Buddha to be intimate with Dhamma, we're not picking and choosing the pretty parts of the way it is. So we're realizing that Buddha can really include everything. And so just exploring that, I'll, I'll just mention part of what we can do to sort of open up this experience of the way that it is. I'm sure you've noticed that sometimes at the beginning of programs, public programs here at Common Ground at times, we do what sometimes is called a land acknowledgement. So part of opening to the way it is, is realizing that here in Minneapolis, where I am, I'm on the land of the Dakota people. And this was treated land and unceded land of, these, of this nation, this group of people. And as probably most of you know, well, Hopefully, you know, through genocide, through, you know, military occupation, through all kinds of unskillful means, we're on this land. And that's just how it is. And we want to, Buddha opening to Dhamma means acknowledging just the layer upon layer of suffering and injustice. Like that part of our economic wealth is based on colonialism and slavery and other just sort of economic injustices that we derive our well-being from. And again, it isn't about getting tight. It's just about being real with what it is to be a human being. Can there be Buddha that can open to Dhamma the way that it is? So it's not just being aware of the ambient sounds in the room or the feeling of the body sitting, as important as that is, and whether the hands are cool or warm. But it means in a deeper and a broader sense, feeling the more subtle reverberations in our heart, the subtle reverberation of guilt or the subtle reverberation of denial the tightness of denial, numbness, whatever it might be. 
And this is especially relevant for some in our community, maybe many in our community, due to the recent deaths of eight people in Atlanta, six of whom folks of Asian descent, women of Asian descent. And it's just uh, like part of Buddha knowing Dhamma is understanding the reality of impact. Like there are people in our community, maybe you yourself, that are feeling some impact right now because of those killings or many, many other reasons. Some of beautiful things might have happened to folks. So part of what we're waking up to, Buddha is waking up to all of the impact, all the sensitivity of our hearts. We know that some people are brokenhearted right now, maybe because of a breakup or maybe being part of a group that feels cornered or oppressed in one way or another. Can we be intimate with that too? Can we include that too? Including our complicity, just being part of this society. How do we take responsibility for what's moving? All the good and all the the oppression and the injustice. How can we inhabit the space of our lives with compassion, with wisdom? And that's really what allows for the third refuge. So Buddha wakes up to Dhamma, and that allows for the third refuge of Sangha. So Sangha is our actions and our words and our thoughts that arise from this intimacy of Buddha being open to Dhamma. So learning how to move and respond in a nimble, balanced, not contrived way. How to become a force of nature in terms of our words, our thoughts, our actions that force of nature arising out of being present. And not putting any, not needing to put any particular spin on the way it is. Which is why we rely, Sangha, this sort of skillful engagement, relies on Buddha being awake to Dhamma. So that's what taking refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha mean. And then, of course, we get tenderized just reflecting on our refuges. And what flows from this is a deep, resonant commitment to not harming. Appreciating the reality of suffering. Why would I want to be part of planting more seeds for suffering, for harm in the world? So we resolve in a deep way to refrain from causing harm through our thoughts, words, and deeds. We aspire, not that it's even possible to live without causing harm, but it's still a beautiful aspiration and not to take what hasn't been given to us, even though we might want it. And to be particularly aware of this part of our lives of sexuality because it's such a tender, exposed place. So we want to really commit to not causing harm, 
through our sexual activities and also through our words, another one of those places where it's very easy to cause harm. Undertaking the training to refrain from using my words in ways that cause harm by lying or misspeaking, using words as a kind of weapon to hurt somebody, or even using words as a sort of filling up space, like idle words, things that don't really need to be said, just end up confusing the moment. And finally, undertaking the training to refrain from intoxicating the mind in ways that make me careless, more likely to cause harm. These are the five trainings that go with the precepts. Really just different ways of operationalizing this valuing of non-harming. So we'll settle into our meditation time now. And I thought we would do a compassion meditation as a way into the last instructions, the last two sets of four instructions from the Buddha on mindfulness of breathing. We'll take the first 10 or 15 minutes and we'll realize as best we can, realize that this heart as a way of connecting with a natural tenderness, a natural compassion. I will abide, keeping in mind, pervading this heart with this compassion, this heart imbued, suffused with a tender-heartedness. due to being connected with my own suffering and the suffering of those around me. Everywhere, in all ways, including to myself, I will abide pervading this world of ours with this heart imbued with compassion this balanced tenderness, abundant, beautiful, boundless compassion, free from fear, free from ill will, I will abide. And we're accessing a tender-heartedness that's moved when we see something simple like a crocus trying to poke its way through a bunch of dead leaves. Or we read another article about somebody facing real suffering of loss, of physical pain, of injustice, or a dear friend dealing with cancer, physical illness, or a breakup. 
I will abide pervading the all-encompassing world, the hearts of my friends, the hearts of those in my community, burdened with suffering, as well as my own suffering, my own anxiety, the uneasiness in this heart. I will abide making space this loving, compassionate space that knows how to be present to suffering, fearless, buoyant, enlivened compassion. May this heart, may all hearts find their way given the truth of suffering. May wisdom and love protect us always. So with compassion meditation, we're using particular images and phrases, words, to uncover and to remember this heart's capacity for this love of compassion. We're really moving toward resting, trusting, and actually being compassion instead of trying to do it. Abiding with this tender heart that cares, that wishes well, It isn't afraid of the very real suffering. It isn't afraid to show up, to do what can be done, if there's something that can be done. So it's a confidence move. We have to find our confidence that this heart is actually capable of caring for our own well-being and for the well-being of others, the well-being of everyone. And feeling that abundant, that radiant goodness we call compassion, and learning to abide there. Allow it to spread everywhere in every way And really do your best to sense the great boundless space of love, the love of compassion, caring about being touched and caring about the very real suffering here and everywhere. Compassion knows how to meet and show up, knows and not afraid to be sensitive.
Be afraid to use a phrase, to repeat a phrase, or bring up an image that reminds the heart of this capacity. I will abide, pervading all corners, internal, external, with this heart suffused with compassion. Everywhere and every way, I will abide, pervading the all-encompassing world with compassion, abundant, beautiful, enlivening compassion. Doing our best, doing our best to abide in this boundless space of tender-heartedness, compassion. And even if you notice some resistance, some hardness of heart, you might be able to have compassion for that too. Oh yeah, that's how it is sometimes, the heart resists. The heart's afraid, the heart feels needy, and I care about that. May wisdom and love guide and protect you, Mark. May you be at ease in this tender world. Something like that. And remember to do your best to transition from doing compassion practice to just resting in the vast, beautiful space of compassion, the great ocean of compassion, tenderness. Nothing is excluded. The sitting body is met with compassion. The room we're in, 
the beings that are close to us now in the wide world, seen and unseen beings, everybody gets included. Noticing this space, boundless space of compassion, appreciating it, noticing the great stillness, even peace of this space of compassion that can hold meet and respond to everything. And that this love of compassion is really nature, not self. There's no need for any ownership or self-identity. Just allowing this boundless space of compassion to be nature. It's what it is. The inclusive, tender nature of the heart, of the mind. from this wholesome, relatively wholesome, settled place, 
pick up the Buddha's instructions, the last four. One trains oneself while breathing in, contemplating the truth of impermanence, the truth of uncertainty. One trains oneself when breathing out, contemplating, keeping in mind the truth of impermanence, of uncertainty. So just do your best, whether you're aware of the changing nature of thought or emotion or sensation or view. Keeping in mind the absence of fixed ground. whole world spinning with birth and death and life eating life and the way that power moves and takes advantage of and then is overthrown and then on and on and on. And instead of being on the level of our thoughts about things, notice how the phenomenon of thought itself is pretty insubstantial. How long does a thought remain? Even a mood or a particular emotion, how long does that stay present? Let alone a thought sensation, a sound. Again, it doesn't really matter what you're aware of. You can always come back to awareness of breathing in and breathing out. But whatever it is that the mind is knowing, being particularly interested in the truth of change, the uncertainty of whatever it is that's being known.
And even if there is in a moment a sense of conviction, certainty about something, even the thought, this is stupid, it might be real conviction for a moment, but if awareness just continues to be aware, you'll notice that that just evaporates, that conviction, that thought seems so real and substantial, and then it's gone. Of course, the mind can regenerate it, but whatever it regenerates, it will also be ephemeral. But we tend not to notice that. So this 13th instruction, the Buddha is simply asking us to keep it in mind. As we're breathing in, keep in mind the truth of change, the insubstantial, uncertain nature of any phenomenon. And as we breathe out, same thing. We're simply curious about this changing nature. Anicca is the Pali word. How the breath is a constant process of change as it comes in and goes out. Same with any thought, any sound, any other experience. Can we keep that truth of change or uncertainty in mind? And then what happens when we keep it in mind?
you again. It's not about looking for change. It's more noticing what the mind is knowing and noticing how that experience is characterized by change, whatever it is that the mind is knowing. One of my teachers sums up all the instructions in a simple way. Keep calmly knowing change. And if ever some experience seems immune to change or substantial in some way, then don't try to force it to change, just be curious about it. This open curiosity. What is the nature of this experience? Is it fixed? Is it self, me or mine? Or is it also changing, uncertain, ephemeral? So we don't have to force anything, just be curious.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.